This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Guys, hope you're doing well today. It is early March, and we have another awesome episode for you here at the Habitat Podcast. If you're new to the show, the Habitat Podcast is all about managing your property for better wildlife and better hunting. We are here together to become better habitat managers. This episode is no different. I learned a ton the day I recorded this episode, which is actually earlier this week. So we're coming to you fresh, current, hot off the press. We have a common guy, not a common guy, a guy that you guys have known before from episode 200. Mr. Jim Ward, Jim is back, okay? This is a great episode with Jim. We also have my good friends, Steve Taylor and Ben Oliverio. So here we go. Ben and Steve have been working on properties in Southern Michigan for years. Jim's been there helping along the way. Jim has come in. He helps cut, shed the light onto the property, his information, and really just uh it's amazing seeing you know all their work and and these farms these farms that steve and ben manage with jim are just are great properties i got an awesome opportunity to hunt one last year um with steve and ben and just salt of the earth guys happy to call my friends and um this is just an awesome podcast on a new property we're going to continue our habitat property breakdown series we did this before with Chad Thalen. We broke down a 40-acre piece um, 
way back when. So this is going to be another habitat property breakdown with a new 80-acre piece in southern Michigan. Steve and Ben have picked up another piece down there, and Jim came up from Indiana, and has been cutting and cutting and cutting. So, again, we have Jim Ward, Ben Oliverio, and Steve Taylor doing a habitat property breakdown on 80 acres in southern Michigan. If you want to hear the first episode of the Habitat Property Breakdown series, go to episode 192, and you'll have an idea of what this is. What the Habitat Property Breakdown series is, is when we go to a piece and we pretty much brainstorm, and then we record the brainstorming session. So you get to kind of see how our minds work. Um, Jim and, and Steve and Ben, you can see how their minds work. And it's really cool having a bunch of Habitat, you know, nerds and, and brainiacs in the room, having a couple pops and, and really, you know, just nerding out on Habitat, what we all love to do. Um, Again, Steve, Ben, Jim, thanks for having me down. Really impressed with what I saw and can't wait to do this again in the future. All right, so that's coming up next. 80 Acres, Southern Michigan, Habitat Property Breakdown. I want to thank everyone who's been leaving us great reviews on Habitat Podcast iTunes. Guys, this is how new people find us. We're getting new listeners all the time because of the, you know, the great reviews that you guys are leaving that helps us chart that helps us move up in the, in the podcast world and people can find us. Um, you know, there's the podcast market is so saturated now that we got to keep innovating. We got to keep doing things great. And your reviews mean a lot. I'm going to read one right here. There's a couple of them on there that are super long detailed reviews. Thank you so much. Jeremy Reger. Um, okay. State Chris, Oklahoma state, Chris, Benjamin, Benjamin G's. This one right here. Highly recommended. Love the content as a new listener. Oh, where'd that just go? Come on. Computer struggling today. Love the content as a new listener. I find the content in line with other great sources, but taking a step further in detail and explanation. The products and companies mentioned seem to be industry leaders as well. Ben, you are right, my friend. We don't partner with anybody just to partner. We make sure the products our industry standard. And thank you for the kind words, my friend. Uh, here's another one from Jeremy Reager. So I've hunted my whole life and I've hunted a permission piece for the last three years. And they've been impressed with me taking care of their property by not leaving trash, picking up trash, offering them meat, teaching them to hunt, posting the land, etc. We had talked at the end of the season, how their property was basically my property. And it's an awesome property. And I took the opportunity to ask if I could start investing into making it an even more amazing whitetail property with designated bedding, cutting lanes, food plots. And they said, do anything you'd like. I'm going to skip ahead because this is an amazing review. And I want to get to the, the podcast here. The podcast is exactly what I was looking for. I have no shame. It's a fast forward button for me. And I'm jacked about it. Ordering my soil test this week and pre-ordering the spring nitro boost mix at Vitalize as well. I choose Vitalize ultimately because of the cycling of the nutrients and it's not offering the stuff I already have on my farm. Jeremy, thank you so much, my friend. I'm going to look you up and send you a free decal. Guys, the reason I bring these up, I want to give shout outs to these guys because they took the time. It's 30 seconds, a minute, maybe five minutes max for these awesome in-depth reviews here. These mean so much to me. I can't tell you how, you know, this just fuels the fire, keeps it going. I get pumped up reading these. Happy to send out free decals to anybody who's leaving these. And uh, I just, I truly appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Tom B333, R Willie Rogue, 
everybody who's leaving these reviews very much appreciated. Now, this week I want to talk about Exodus outdoor gear. You guys, you know, I've been running the Exodus cameras forever, um, years now. I can't even tell you how long. And now, then they came out with their MMT arrows. I blew a few of those through some animals. Well, one through a doe last year. Um, they've teamed up with Prime Archery. Now, Prime is a pretty cool Michigan company. Being from Michigan, I try to, to you know, I tend to know a lot about what's going on here in the state. Prime is an awesome company. I've shot their bows. Um, and I, I enjoy the technology and the engineering they have behind their stuff. They teamed up with Exodus. They're doing a giveaway. If you go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com, look for the Prime giveaway. They're giving away a custom Prime Rebex bow, brand new bow. One dozen Exodus MMT arrows and a brand new Exodus rival cell camera with SP18 solar panel bundle. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like 1800 bucks, two grand worth of stuff. $1,800 value, they say on the, on the site here. So all you have to do is submit your name and your email address. You are entered into that. Head over to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Follow them, follow their podcast. Jake does a bang up job over there with all the marketing. And uh, check them out. ExodusArtlerGear.com, Exodus Prime Archery Giveaway, brand new solar panel and cell camera. Oh, and a dozen MMT arrows. Can't believe it. Check them out, guys. Exodus are great guys, great company, and um, always awesome to see them innovate. Also, I want to talk about Afflictor Broadheads. You guys know that Brian and I have been shooting those broadheads for two full seasons now. Um, I like the fixed EXT broadhead. I am considering the K2, which is what Brian shoots. I like the the tall, slender profile to go through a shoulder blade of the fixed EXT. And I did just that this year. I broke a leg on a deer. I went through a shoulder blade um, with that MMT arrow as well. And I just, I'm confident in that setup. And guys, when you're confident, you aim closer to the heart. You know, you, you hug that shoulder a little tighter. Uh, I've shot plenty of deer through the liver and lung and let them lay overnight. And done that over and over and over because I was scared of that shoulder blade uh, back when I was young. I, I injured deer, tracked them all over God's country and lost them, you know, sickening stuff. So I would always aim back off that shoulder. Now I can confidently say after lots of practice, studying the ranch ferry, um, the vital V, that I know where I need to aim. And I know that my arrow is going to blow through and get into that vital, you know, chest cavity. And I do that with a fixed blade broadhead. That's what I'm confident in. Afflictor makes fixed blade. They make expandables. They make hybrid where they're fixed and expandable. Um, you know, the ferrules for the broadheads are made in Ohio. The broadheads are hand assembled in Texas. And, you know, I'm just loving them. They fly great. They're very durable. And the penetration I'm seeing personally is just deadly. Check them out. Afflictorbroadheads.com. Really appreciate them partnering with the podcast. And um, I'm proud to shoot them another year, guys. I have no problem shooting them again. I have a pack here. Cannot wait to start shooting again real soon. I want to thank the rest of our partners. I want to thank Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max called the Packers. Oh, I want to thank the guys who came and said hi in Iowa at the Packer Max booth, Cole Heinen. Cole, thank you for swinging by the Packer Max booth and saying hi down there in Iowa. It was awesome to meet you. Um, I love talking about your property and, and, you know, 
offering some advice up on what you can do there in the Indiana property. And uh, yeah, it's just, I'm glad you stopped by. Thanks for swinging by the Packer Max booth at the Iowa Deer Classic Cole. Uh, it was awesome. And I want to thank Morris Nursery. I got to meet um, another one of the owners down there at Iowa. Chris Mills was down there over at, at Morris. So you got Morris Nursery, Legendary Forest Products, Endless Horizons Archery, First Light, Real Tree United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties, and Vitalize Seed Company. Pre-orders are open at Vitalize Seed. We are shipping seed this week. All right, guys. Um, thank you very much for everybody who's tuning in. Thank you for everyone who came and listened to the podcast week after week. We really do appreciate that. There will be some new stuff coming soon to try to build an even tighter community with our listeners. I want to I want to do more. I want to be closer, you know, with the listeners and offer more help like I did, you know, with Cole when he came up with the Packer Max booth. We were spitballing about his property for a good 20 minutes. So I want to be able to do that stuff with you guys more and more as this grows. So you'll, you'll be seeing some new things coming down the road. And I can't forget, I'm almost done building out the webpage, the Packer Max HD unit giveaway. We're giving away $800 Packer Max. I will have details for you most likely next week. Stay tuned, guys. Here we go. Jim Ward, Ben Oliverio, Steve Taylor, Habitat Property Breakdown in Southern Michigan, 80 acres. Yeah, okay. I didn't think about that. I still have most of my crap in the truck from Iowa, too. Okay. So I don't know if you needed to book um, home or what, but... I probably should. Yeah, yeah. I know how that goes. Just yeah, going up to um, be careful. Burt Lake ice fishing this weekend. Oh, yeah? So, got nice. that going, which is guy's trip, and then we just went to Iowa. Shot hunting. So, she's... That's a wasp, I think. Yeah, so you're sure. married. So, I'm married for now, but if I keep doing these weekend these trips, country. I might be in trouble. No, you definitely will be. <laughs> yeah, you definitely will be. Hey. Hopefully you got one that'll tell you in advance, you know, that's an yeah. issue. <laughs> so. She does a pretty good job right. of letting me know what's going on. She does a pretty good job yeah. of that. Yeah. I'd say these guys, was a week after we were up at Burt Lake or two weeks? That two small billers fell through the ice? Oh, yeah. about that? Was fishing. that over by Maple River? Yeah. That's where we're going in. Cric Crooked, Crooked River they were at. But oh, that's Maple, Bay, Maple, Maple Bay. Maple Bay, correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where we fished was Maple Bay. Did you guys catch anything? No? We didn't really fish though. Okay. We did. Yeah. They say Maple Bay is like the the hatchery of the lake. Dude, on Facebook right now, the perch coming out of yeah. there look really good. Mm -hmm. I think we'll we probably go up there and catch nothing, but yeah. it looks yeah. pretty good. Some jumbos, a mm -hmm. blue perch yesterday. Really? On Burt Lake, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, we're worse. So, anyways, I probably scoot, but appreciate that. If I don't, yeah. I'm gonna grab another beer. Please do. Oh, yeah. Please just, do. Just make just sure stay we're all, safe. We're going well here. Yeah, we're looking good. There was many a nights where I had to get home too, and I'd stop at the rest area and get that power nap real quick for 20 minutes before I hit the yep. road. But. Yep. Great. No, I truly appreciate that for sure. Definitely. It should be. It should be good. Steve will probably. If you want to start, you know, maybe yeah. tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, let's do some introductions, and then. Um, I want to hear you know, Steve tell us about this farm, or both of you that you guys picked up. Yeah. So if you want to start out with an introduction. Cool. All right. Who the heck is Steve? Yeah, my name's Steve Taylor. I'm from uh, just outside Toledo, Ohio. Been deer hunting my whole life. Like a lot of guys grew up going up north. Uh, my grandpa started a deer camp up there, and then my dad slowly took it over with his buddies and my uncles, and then I got invited. And, uh, man, I got... Hook, line, and sinker, right? Like, they got in my blood like all of us. Became addicted to it. Um, lived to go up north. And 
there's a trek it was like five hours away and we were up there shooting these little bucks you know <laughs> if we saw a deer with antlers we got excited about it you know um and so i started looking for a farm closer to me um and i found a place in hillsdale county in uh, 2010 and uh bought this piece and man it's uh it's my little slice of heaven got 130 acres here and uh been managing it you know since i really figured out what habitat was you know i didn't we didn't do any habitat work up in northern michigan we just show up for gun season you know or show up for bow season dump your corn or your carrots or apples and hang some stands um, but as soon as i bought the farm i started reading you know every article i could on habitat and um I mean, it was great found some guys that were telling me things i never knew about i didn't know about food plots i didn't know about hinge cutting you know didn't know about you know a lot of the stuff that uh, we're doing today and um, we planted apple trees and we've done so much stuff here and actually i think the habitat work is more fun than the hunting and i think most guys that have property i would say that now they, they yeah. like the habitat side of things more so than the hunting yeah so yeah i love it though no, great. Jake always says it's like hunting all year round, right? Because yes. you're really doing it for the hunt. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty addicting. Yep. Now, what, what books and stuff did you start reading on? Do you remember? You, you know, them? one of the first articles I read actually was an article that Tony LaPratt had out. Okay. Um, and it was about small acre hunting and, you know, manipulating the, the, the land. And um, I remember I reached out to Tony right away, and that's when I started learning more about guys like Tony. And there were a bunch of guys like Jeff Sturgis and Jake and uh, Jim and... You know, I tried to read everything I could. Uh, reached out to guys and had some guys come out to the property. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, just everything was like, a, what do you say, drinking from a, a fire hose? Yeah, I mean, it was so overwhelming, but it was like, man, I want to know as much as I can to try to shoot these big deer. And the other thing was, you know, after coming from northern Michigan, if you see a 100-inch deer up there, it's a trophy. Well, all of a sudden down here, there's... We saw a lot of 100-inch deer right away, and we're holding off and trying to, you know, join a co-op and try to back off on certain things. And um, we had we had 130 minimums, you know, at first. And I don't think anybody waited for a 130 the first couple <laughs> of years we hunted because I, I started bringing my buddies here too right away, and we all started doing work together. And you know, um, and that's really how I found Ben was just searching, looking for food plots. I said, hey, we need to get some food in the right? ground. And I just did a Google search, and uh, yeah, Michigan Food Plot Services came up. I called Ben, and man, we hit it off right away. That was 2013? It was. I think 2013, yeah, so 10 years ago. And um, man, we've had quite the journey, you know, of growing big bucks, killing big bucks, um, just, you know, hanging out together. I mean, it's it's fun, and, and just being on this journey together. And then that's how we found Jim, because we said, what's this deal about hinge cutting? Reached out to Jim Ward, and um, man, Jim, what's it been? Probably since... 2012 or so even coming probably, up probably yeah. yeah yeah and uh just you know I've, I've bought a couple farms in between sold a couple farms so we've had different pieces to work on and it's it's so much fun getting a new farm because it, you don't know what's there you know and it's like uh it's like a kid at christmas you know it's it's the anticipation i think you know and you put those trail cameras out and you're waiting for you know the first big buck to come on there and we've had it happen at every farm you know, where all of a sudden, you know, like, what? wonder what's here, wonder what's here. And then, boom, you're waiting, you know, you're waiting and waiting, and then you see that giant. And then all you moment. want to do is you want to make it better, and you want to grow bigger bucks, and you want to set that mouse trap so you can have the access and set the stands the right way. And, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I'm addicted. That's all I can say, right? I'm addicted. Yeah, right. I listen to all your podcasts, you know what I mean? Like, first time I listened to podcasts, I reached out, you know, probably pretty soon, just like, hey, man, 
I'm cutting some miscanthus, you know, digging up miscanthus. You know anybody that could use some? And I think you're probably like, who is this guy? Why is he bothering me about this miscanthus? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but no, I just think it's it's funny. There's like a group of guys that, that are also similar that are into this habitat stuff. And you, you can tell as soon as you meet one because you just keep talking and it's like your long lost friends, you know, mm-hmm. and you got so much in common. And usually, you know, the guys we come across, they're all... You know, they're all in it together. They want to make deer hunting better. They want to make it, uh, you know, it's a tough go out there right now with hunters. You know, we're sort of in a minority and um, you get looked down upon. So it's like, hey, how can we make this better for everybody? And I think what you're doing is fantastic. You know, the guests that you have on, everybody's trying to do the right thing and trying to, you know, you're working on habitat. You're growing yeah. bigger deer. You're, you're doing other things other than just growing big deer too, though, you know? Like, yeah, it's uh, you always talk about... Um, you know the small game and you talk about the pollinators you know yeah. and like mark kenyon another guy that you know been listening to another michigan guy and he's done so much too with just talking and, and opening people's minds to improving habitat and it does so much more for than just for deer yeah so, it trickles down right for sure for sure yep yep yo thanks for having us down steve oh yeah great, Glad great to here, meet man. you last yep. fall and ben at the same time Ben, you must have been paying the right Google ads for to be the first guy to pop up for Michigan food plotting when Steve typed it in way back when. Things have a way of working themselves out, you know? Sure, I mean, sure. I, yeah. I, I believe in uh, God, and I believe that God put us together for a reason. So, Amen. Um, yeah, it's been yeah. great. Um, been doing this, like ten said, uh, uh, Steve said, for 10 years now Wow. on this one farm. And wow. it's been great to... Do the work and see how it pays off and see how I need to improve it next year as opposed to just going on somebody's property, doing a job, leaving and not getting that feedback. You know, and yep. Jim and I were talking about that earlier about the constructive criticism and how good it does for us to grow uh, because I don't know it all. And I learn from every single person I'm around, you know, and, and I think that's what a lot of people have uh, gotten away from nowadays is they think they know it all instead of uh adapting to uh what my dad taught me you know god gave you two eyes two ears and one mouth for a reason <laughs> look and listen more than you talk you know Love and it. everybody you encounter can teach you something and all of us habitat guys we all have the same end goal in mind we want to kill bigger bucks better bucks and do it more consistently you yep. know so me not listening to you would be a discredit to myself. I want to hear what you're bringing to the table because you want the same end result, but there's a lot of ways to get there. Yeah. And all of us Habitat guys are doing things a little bit differently, mm-hmm. but equally as effective. There isn't any reason for me to cut cut your throat or cut right. your throat or like, let's more. all come together and do this thing together for the main goal that we have in mind. And that's bigger bucks and better deer and better Habitat. And I think in the last five years where this has gone is incredible. You know, guys like yourself that are coming in and making it more known to people, it's what we need to keep this sport alive. Yeah, but well said. And, and, you know, Jim mentioned earlier he's trying to get some of this knowledge out there. So, you know, in case you get old someday and don't want to spread it anymore, it's documented somewhere. And I think that with the podcast has been one of the coolest things is talking to some of these guys who – you may never hear from again or never even heard of right. but now you get to pick their brain and, and learn different stuff and and Ben yeah I you and I have a lot in common we, we sat down last week or week before and had a couple of beers and talked all day about it what was the name of that first drink that that 
You had it on the table. See, you got to bring that up right now. You you ordered one too, so I'll absolutely be proud to mention it was called a cinnamon girl. Okay, and it was we enjoyed that together, and our one o'clock lunch turned into. Uh, Yep. Clo yeah, like we're, we're a late cool. night, a late night. He said he was drinking a, 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 a cider, like a mead or... Yeah, it was, it was a, a cider. cider. So I'm sure I'll have one of those. It had sugar on the rim, like <laughs> a beer. I'm like, what the heck is this thing? I, we had one. I was like, that's, that's very tasty. And right when we were walking away, uh, I asked, I go, what's the name of that, that drink? And Ben goes, oh, no. <laughs> she goes, it's a cinnamon girl. And I look at Ben, he goes, she wasn't supposed to tell you that. <laughs> but that was a fun day. And, and to your point, I learned a lot about you and, and why, you know, you guys are so close and, and, uh, and everything about it. So that's awesome. Man. It was a fun time. It was. Thank you so much for having us uh, on this show and everything. Oh, sure. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys listening. That means a lot uh, yeah. every time. It really does. Um, Let's get Jim's introduction, and then we'll hear. I want to hear from you guys or, or everybody what what piece of property we're on today. So, so Jim Ward, what I do is hinge cut trees mainly, <laughs> and uh, travel around a lot of places doing it. And I've learned a lot over the years. And and as Ben had mentioned earlier, all of us do this slightly different, it seems, but getting together and discussing it and the person that benefits the most is the client you know and um, we could all pick up things walking in the woods with each other and talking and, and having just a 15-20 minute discussion in the spot and um, again I just love that out there it it's nice sitting in here talking there's no doubt warm uh, dry all that but uh, you know, it's just so educational out there for me every time when new people show up and and so and new properties, new canvas and and just so exciting at the end of the day. About ninety percent of the time I say this is my best one yet, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, today was a great one out there, you know, and we spent two days on it and so anyways, yeah, that's me. Awesome. And you're not you're not done yet. You got a couple more days ahead of you, right? Yeah, two more, yeah. So what what was this um, what's this farm like? Man, this farm is uh, it's something else. We think it's a little gem, 80 acre piece um, in Hillsdale County. Um, hasn't had a lot of hunting pressure on it over the years, um, which is good and bad. Bad because we don't really know. We can't tell. Um, you know, the, the previous owners didn't do a lot of hunting, so they can't tell us what was around, what was shot. But we think it's a good in a good neighborhood. Um, I mean, there's Hillsdale County has got a lot of good areas. Um, but this spot, it's just, it's set up so nice. It's got tons of funnels, tons of pinch points. Yeah. Um, it's got some ag land on it, you know, so we can have crops, but there's some areas we can put food plots in, uh, swamp, swamp ground, lots of good high, high ground for bedding. I mean, just all the stuff when you're looking at a piece of property, it, it checks a lot of the boxes. Yeah. And um, with some of the work that we're doing, this could be a farm that could be uh, one of those farms that can produce some really trophy you know trophy whitetails and that that's what we're about that's what we want to do so and, and you said earlier we were walking get about 20 acres of tillable yeah at 20 of the 80s tillable yep and then i don't know like four to five acres of of that pine thicket up there right mm -hmm. you say how many acres of the pond and the house maybe another yeah, five that's probably another five ish. acres or so yeah. with the ponds and the and the barn up there yeah now we're getting towards 30 30 something and the rest being woods yep yeah yep. and um 
two miles of trails back there. The guy there loved to, he loved to cut trails. And, <laughs> I mean, you could just go for days and days just walking the trails back there. But uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. And Ben and I were out there hunting opening day of gun season, and we went in blind, picked it up in November. Um, we put some cameras out, but uh, didn't have a ton of intel. And we said, hey, let's just go out there sort of blind and see what see what we see. We both saw a ton of deer, a lot of small bucks. Nice. Um, you know, we didn't shoot anything, but man, it was exciting. Um, just the activity and all the action. And I think both of us were sitting in our stands saying, oh, we could do this, we could do that, you know, and so the wheels start turning and that's how uh, we put the plan in motion. The one thing that I know is I, I surround myself with guys that are a lot smarter than me. And that's why I said, hey, Ben, come up with a good idea. You know, obviously we've known Jake for a long time yep. and got Jake involved. And so we got to call Jim, get on the calendar and we put these guys together, you know, and man, they can uh, they can definitely make things happen in a hurry too. So yeah, I got to see that today. Yeah, yeah you guys, yeah, Ben and Jim been cutting and it's it's cut. Yeah, well, Jim's always uh, he he never really wants to talk himself up, but I mean it's he's a machine. He's superhuman when he gets after it and gets going. And you you know I walked out in the woods. I was there. We walked Monday morning and walked around. Yesterday. Sort of came up with a plan. Came back this afternoon, so it's day and a half, and it rained all day yesterday too. But I mean, it's un it's unbelievable what it looks like in just a day and a half. How many trees do you think you cut? Oh, there's 1,200, <laughs> 1,400 on the ground, I'm sure. Wow. And so Ben was helping too. It just yeah. wasn't all me. And um, he helped. I knocked down the big stuff first, and and tried to start my walls and try to put them over top of stuff that was already down. And then we went with the habitat hook and and uh, was real selective and and careful and made some nice structures and and finished up the walls and got our canopy the way 65 percent probably canopy down so no it's 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 nice in there great terrain features yeah great diversity on the property um high deer numbers um a lot of hard maple which is going to be a big positive in there for it to, to thicken up quick so yeah I'm excited about it, and, and we made a big hit, but the next two days, now that we have a feel for the ground, and we've been back and forth on it a little bit to where we could see terrain features more instead of just a short walk, uh, we'll pick up some speed, and so it'll be good. <laughs> it is going good, and I think you alluded to a good point, Jared, about uh, you were trying to figure out ag field versus uh, you know the ponds and the house and how much land it is. And I think that's important for a lot of your viewers too, is your parcel size isn't as important as everything else that factors into it. Your neighbors, what, you know, what that woodlot looks like. Do you have the perfect five acres? Right. Because you're going to kill great bucks on that five acres, just like somebody with 105 acres might, if it's set up right. right. So the unique thing about this property is it was a blank slate. The people that owned it, owned it and managed it for aesthetics okay they wanted it to look beautiful and and that's great it but does. when when a, a woods is park effect you're not holding deer in there right. and we saw that so i think a lot of the stuff we're doing to this blank slate is going to make it that extremely huntable property you know and it's yeah. it's a matter of getting that property and saying okay i'm going to take this slow and put a good plan together because I got one shot at this, you know, and yes, I could tweak it year after year and make it a little bit better, 
but the grand scheme of things. Do I want to have a logger first to take my mature timber out? Do I want to have Jim in to do the hinge cutting? Because now that bottles a, a logger up and he's not going to be able to do it. Right. So there's really a method to the mayhem. You know, there is. And having guys like yourself out or Jake out that do management plans, plans. and property plans is essential. Monday, yesterday, when Jim was out with us, we pulled that map that Jake did for us out of our pocket. And we said, okay, you know, Jake and Jim have worked together. So they have a feel for each other. They know how each other uh, uh, work and what they're looking for. Man, it was great to watch Jim pick up that map and say, I know exactly what Jake's going for here. And that's what he did. He went in and executed and made it happen. And uh, uh, like-minded guys, you know, coming together, putting your heads together and talking about stuff and not letting your ego get in the way. That's how you go far on properties like this. Love it. And I think, I fully agree, and I think one more thing that we didn't mention is there's the house and barn and pond is um, directly in the middle. <laughs> per, yes, I mean, a little bit more valid. towards the back. Yeah. So the front part is tillable. Driveway goes right up the middle. And then you have a little bit of woods on the right, which would be the east. And then you have the two barns and the ponds, three ponds, I think. And then the, kind of the rest is woods all the way around mm -hmm. the back. So just painting a picture for the folks listening, in a regular narrow 80 and um, 240s on top of each other. And that, that house in the back or the, the barn in the back is, is interesting, right? That's something that you have to play into your plan. And I think uh, the amount of, many plans of I, as I've done, I think the majority are not back in the middle of the woods like that. How about you? What are you, what are you seeing? Are the are majority in the woods or mainly up front by the road? Then you got the woods to work with. Well, so the people that put it back in the woods are are nature lovers you hey, know? I like and, one, yeah. and that's the reason they're doing it so they can enjoy looking out the window and and being away from people you know and, yep. and so I can definitely understand that and appreciate it yep. a lot of times on a plan you'll think that it's not the best idea to have it to where you had to access back that far but we talked about it right off the bat you know and and so for sure you can fix it with a radio plan 24 7 365 some flags, some wind chimes, train the deer that it's all right. The nice That's thing about job. this, when we followed the big rub line around the property, it makes a circle all the way around that habitat back there. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to copy that, that mature buck rub line. Um, and so, and we want that to be the biggest circle of the property and have cover all the way around so he'll travel that during and just so happens to be two of the pond dams pinch all the deer down and so it sounds like it might not be the best huntable situation because the house is that far back but it's in the middle and the activities a big circle around that and we got two perfect pinches and we're making two more perfect pinches that you can hunt a lot and so that's how this here property goes um, real high on my one to ten scale nice um, nice because how we can fix that but yeah you said it there a lot of people would think that's a bad you know or, or less than desirable thing but you can if you think of the spokes of a wheel you can access right? short anything, access yeah anything yeah. from that center yeah. and the wind that's a wind chime that's a great tip there a little tip you slid in there um, jim talked about that years ago great. here because the way my cabin sits on this farm and talked about wind chimes and like wind socks and uh and the radio and uh and we had the wind chimes and wind socks for for years um 
and it was one of those things that worked so good we stopped doing it. But uh, we, he talked about it again this time, and we were like, we also we had to redo the exterior of this cabin, and I think everything came down. But we got to get some more wind chimes and wind socks up here because what a great idea! And the, and the radio, we had the radio in the barn playing too, and it's just awesome. it's constant noise, constant activity. Um, and yeah, that's one of Jim's secrets, and he said it's worked well. Well, I just picked it up from clients. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I picked up ninety percent of what I do from clients. Nice. You know, I mean, I thought I shot was good at harvesting good bucks before until I met the guys out, out there that you, nobody really knows about that's harvesting great bucks right and so you can learn from all of them everybody has their little special things yeah, so. yeah I love how humble all you guys are man that's why that's why we're here um, so speaking of the timber first thing I noticed were a bunch of apple trees all trimmed up when I pulled in that you're doing Ben absolutely They're pruning and trimming what were you pruning and trimming off those there's a lot of mature apple trees that are overgrown and yeah. getting the dead limbs off, the diseased limb, limbs, the limbs that cross each other. But the time to do that is January through March. You know, you don't want to do it when the trees are alive and attract bugs that'll kill the trees. So I, uh, I looked at the property, I, I look at the calendar and I figure out what our chores are during that month. And I think, you know, Jeff Sturgis has been really valuable with that, the videos that he puts together uh, saying, this is what you should be doing in your deer yeah. woods. That is so great. That is great it's knowledge for the normal people out there who are like, what can I do on my property? I want to get out. I want to get out away from the wife or whatever it may be, you know, <laughs> like I just want to go into the deer woods. Well, he does a great thing, a great service for all of us. So I'm grateful for that. And I yeah. look at those videos and I say, okay, you know, now's the time to prune my fruit trees. And I just took a seminar on fruit trees. So it was, uh, it was oh, good to get out there and trim them too. Yeah, top <laughs> but, of the mind. Yeah, you reminded me of what I forgot to do this month. Yeah. It's important, you know. And then I got out there and I fertilized them too. I, I just use those Job's uh, fruit tree spikes yep. that you can pound in along the drip line. And those work pretty well. Uh, but I think that's really important on a property is maintaining the fruit trees that you do have and putting more fruit trees in um, as soon as you can you know it's oh, there's no draw like apple trees apple bark the new buds off of apple trees and now you start pruning your trees and i take all my branches and i set them on the ground they all get chewed up during the winter so there's a lot of benefit in fruit trees you know it's funny um i we'd never planted any trees out here until ben came in and right away i think most hunters think about food plots because it's all instantaneous gratification, right? Like we all want, you know, we want to see it, we want to grow it, and then have the deer start using it. Fruit trees, it takes a little bit. And uh, I don't know how many years ago it was, but we ordered a bunch from Morris Nursery, um, who I know they're one of the sponsors, and you yeah, deal out yeah. with them. They make good um, trees too. And yeah, and uh, they do a great job. I think it was Fred that you dealt with back in the day and got a bunch of trees from, from them, and we put a couple orchards in. It's unbelievable. You know, you think about it takes a while to grow apple trees, but man, it's unbelievable how quickly those trees were producing good quality apples and different times of the year. I mean, we did it right, you know, and we've got an amazing orchard, you know. I've seen it. Yeah. It truly is and, amazing. And it didn't take all that long. It took some work, you know. I mean, there's, we had to do all the right things with caging them, you know, and I, I know you had uh, a guest down there just talking about wrapping versus caging so, and all yeah. that, you know, um, but it's, it's fun to see when you go in there and you see these trees start producing apples. And then the deer start hammering them, you know, and then you have it in conjunction with a food plot or, you know, I mean, just, it's one more, it's just one more piece of the puzzle. And yep. uh, yeah, it's, it's really neat though to see. Uh, and it was one of those things I didn't really know much about, but as a, a new guy coming in, if you got any listeners too that are like, oh, you know, it's going to take too long. 
you know, you can get some some bigger fruit trees, put them in the ground. You got to do the work, and you know, you got to maintain them. And like Ben said, you got to go out there and you got to prune them, and you got to do the right things with tree spikes and caging them and stuff. But man, within a few years, you can pre be producing some great apples. So we did the same thing with pear trees. Uh, we got chestnut trees coming from Morse. Now yes. we're going to do some more chestnut trees. So, yeah, it's all good stuff for habitat too, you know, and it's helping long term. Persimmons though too. Yeah, you that's know, right. They say yep. you can't grow persimmons in Michigan. Well, we got some uh, persimmons from Charlie Morris at Morris Nursery, and they've done great. And last year, in fact, after 10 years of them being in the ground, was the first time we got a bunch of fruit off them. Awesome. So it was nice to see that in Michigan. One more type of food source for the deer. But the, the the packages that they offer at Morris Nursery with the, I think it was called Three Times a Charm, where they drop, you know, October, November, December, and now we have chestnuts that are going to drop November and December, and you have all this food diversity that drops at different times, and it takes the pressure off your food plots, but there is no replacement for apples. There just isn't. The deer will flock from all over to get the apples. So it's been, it's been really good, but orchards and fruit trees do take a lot of work. I remember one of the first times Ben said, hey, there was a new farm we bought and there was an apple producing tree on there and it was old and he went in and did some work on it and then he said, we got to put a camera on this tree because every buck in the neighborhood is going to be here, you know, come October, November. And it was unbelievable. I mean, we saw all sorts of new bucks show up, but making scrapes under the apple trees and eating the apples and like every buck comes around those, those big, those big old apple trees. So yep. it's a great place to inventory early season. See, I'm learning something here. All the farms that I bought, which are two, none of them had apple trees on them. There's a bunch of apple trees these guys are finding on these farms are buying. <laughs> Maybe that's the missing link. I don't know. That's, uh, that's right. Yeah. That's something I haven't done could yet. Be. Yeah, it could be. But I mean, you know, to your point, like I, mine are producing after four years, I think. Yep. There were probably two or three old trees when I planted them. So sure. it comes quicker than you think, yeah. right? Right. With all the work out there and how time flies these days, it comes. The fruit comes quicker than you think. Yep. Um, and back to the, the 80 we're on, I mean, I was walking back there, so they got the truck. I'm like, man, where's Ben? Where's Jim? They're like, Roo! like okay, they're over there. Got the chainsaw. So I started walking down there, and I noticed, um, and I get your opinion, Jim, on what the, the forest is mainly made up of. I saw hickory right off the bat. Um, I saw a couple white oak. We saw more when we were walking, some mm -hmm. real big ones, actually, on that far west side. Um, and then some elm leaves I found on the way back, um, some, a lot of red oak too. What, were you, what do you think the forest is mainly made up of in there? So this was pretty much a typical timber across the Midwest that's been high graded. And so what it's been, we can see the old stumps in there, the real big old stumps were 30 to 40 inches across. Holy cow. And so they were big oak stumps that they cut. And when they cut those, um, they already had hard maple in there as pole timber well no sun got in and so that's what the timber ended up being was hard maple and beech mainly mm. with a with small number of oak but we've taken a lot of that canopy down and left the walnut and the oak red and white oak and there's a few black in there but so that's what we're going to get right we'll get the maple to flush again real quick but the deer are going to hammer them as soon as they do and um and hopefully we're going to get the oak to regen in there but we'll definitely open the canopy up on those oak and get a lot more acorns um, so yeah again it kind of typical timber i've done my 
type of timber stand improvement deal the best I could. Um, our main focus is deer on this, and we took down a lot of big trees, uh, mainly the big hickory, um, took down some big red maple, and, and some medium-sized um, hard maple. But um, as far as deer brows, there'll be a lot of attraction in there. They're not big on the hickory that we took down, but some of those big 20-inch hickory are going to stay alive in there. They love the buds this time of the year, but they don't eat on them much in the summer or fall that I see. But it's going to be our big structure, and as you've seen in there, we'd lay those big trees down and then take the other trees and lay them on that to keep it all tight in a narrow wall to where they couldn't see through it and direct the traffic. And... Um, and then make the huts alongside that using those big trees as a post so that it don't collapse down near as fast. And um, so yeah, I know I'm getting a little carried away. You just oh. asked the question about the timber the on, uh, types. We, we did run across a few pear trees in there. I will, and a lot of times in Michigan and in Wisconsin and even Minnesota, guys be putting a, an orchard in, and then when we get into the timber and start cutting, we'll run into those trees in there that, that need some sunlight to them, you know. Yep. And, and they just don't recognize them because it, it's hard to see the trees for the forest until you get in there and you're making your circles and you're doing all the work in there. And I always pick up more information. You know, I can have a rough idea of what I want, and then I get in there and I start walking around. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm just getting more and more data, and I'm adjusting my, my plan all the time. But, yeah. So. You know, I got to say, um, I got to give you a little plug. Like, the first time I met Jim Ward was out here at Steve's place, and Steve said, I'm having this guy out, and I, I knew of him from the Internet. And he says, we sat here, and he says, okay, let me see your maps. Let me see what you're looking at. He goes, right here. This is where we're going to find deer beds and buck beds, right here on this terrain feature. And I'm thinking, all right, does this guy have the magic potion? Like, what's, what's going on, right? I kid you not, we walked out of here on a farm he's never been to, to the exact place he was looking at the map, and there were beds there. There were rubs all around. He says, military crest, you know, deer, the, the bucks are going to lay here, and they're going to look out on the high ground. And immediately, my... I, I, my senses went up you know I, I i had a lot to learn from this man and he getting on this new 80 he looks out over it and yes he looks at jake's plan but he says okay well there's a hill there there's a train feature here the deer are gonna do this i bet there's a bed over here and of course there's a bed there so it's it's really been an honor to work by somebody who has evolved in this industry and grown but he knows a lot about deer and that's back to my point there like you listen to these guys that, that bring other stuff to the table than what you might be thinking of or what you might have read, and there's so much to learn. There really is. He's, uh, he's been an incredible asset to the team out here and, and what we've done on these farms. Yeah, without a doubt. No kidding. It's a, that, I'll never forget that time we went out there, and he does it every time, every yeah. farm. Yeah. New farm, doesn't matter where it is. He looks at the train features. Now, it helps that he was in the Marine Corps and he read maps, right, and he, and he had to take a whole, 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 a bunch of guys all through the his stories are crazy going at night it was nothing nothing else but a map and jim leading these guys and a couple times he came to the edge of a cliff <laughs> we <laughs> had some issues yeah, I heard that story. we had some injuries a couple times but <laughs> the regroup. map wasn't correct <laughs> we'll talk about the importance of understanding terrain features yeah. You know, and it's uh, just subtle. Like you and I were walking out there today, Jared, and we are talking about how just a little subtle rise in the terrain features. And it's unbelievable how the deer 
want to use that. You know, and I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, myself included early on, you know, before I really got into this habitat stuff, you know, you, you heard about pinch points and funnels and stuff, but you didn't pay as much attention maybe to the terrain features. I would agree. And uh, man, it's so important. And I think, um, and what was nice to, to, to plug you even more, <laughs> uh, I was, it was nice and I'm, I'm a fanboy of all this stuff, right? So I'm walking out there and, and Steve's asking me questions and I'm telling him what I think. And he goes, oh yeah, Jim, Jim said the same thing. I'm like, yes, you know? <laughs> yeah, awesome. most definitely. You know, and yeah. then, so it was cool to, that you can you can look at it. You've been on, I mean, I don't know how many properties you've been on. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, it's, it's I, just. I, never, I started keeping track of them in the beginning and um, I have no idea now to be honest, but um, it, it's been a lot and it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'll talk just real quick about terrain features. Um, Please do. There's a guy named Brad Herndon that wrote a book, Mapping Trophy Whitetails. And, and I got that book as soon as I got out of the Marine Corps and read it, and I thought, wow, is this right? And, uh, and I started paying attention, and it's just like 100% right. And so when I bought my second or third book, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> same exact book, uh, he you know, edited it and whatnot, but okay. I'm saying um, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, and so, again, I appreciate what you guys are saying, right? But I've picked this up over the years from other people. I learned how to hunt. Nobody taught me how to hunt. Um, my mom took me hunting when I was young. And, um, and so when I was like 16, the kids on the bus was making fun of me for my mom taking me. And so I told her, you can't go anymore. And so <laughs> I just started hunting by myself after that. And so um, I learned it all myself in my style and everybody's got their own style but then when I started this business is when I really started picking up all this big additional knowledge right and I just got to give it to that and I appreciate what you guys are yeah. saying but I'm just passing on what other people have shown me sure. right because it was so interesting to me and that's what these podcasts are for me it's not more business is I want to pass this information on and I love doing that in the woods I'd rather have a field day to walk people around and show them than this because I could point to it and explain it and see if they understand it and then explain it in a different way if they don't, you know. And I don't have the words on this. But anyways, yeah. You are such a humble guy yeah, and I, love and I admire ways, that yeah. about you. Can, <laughs> can I, can I kind of lead this for a second though and ask you to, to talk about one thing that yep that I think I've learned so much from you about, and I think it's so important that a lot of people don't hear the term military crest. What is a military crest and why do bucks go towards that to, to bed? Well, so I have said that for years and I, and I agree, nobody understands it, right? And, right? and that's what I run into just talking like this. But so military crest, it's the same spot that we dug our fighting hose when I was in the Marine Corps. And so the reason you do that is, is you can see everything, but you don't want to be too far over that hill because you can't see what's coming behind you or anything, right? Mm -hmm. And so on that military crest, it's where it comes out flat and then it drops fast. And the faster it drops, the, the more they want to be there because of a thermal rising up that hill more, right? So the thermal, effect is one of the big reasons they're there vision is a is a big reason but i don't want them to see so i do that hinge cut wall in front of their eyes 
on the down on the side slope to get that canopy those trees out of their way to where they're not using that area as much and i put it down in front of their eyes so you can get closer to them they're still going to be there they're still going to get their thermal they're still going to feel comfortable because they got cover in front of them but the stuff's not in their way and now we get all that food that they need that they're going to get up every hour and a half all day long and walk around and, and, and browse and touch top off their stomach and then lay back down and chew their cud and so when i started getting the amount of sunlight in there that i needed and the broadleaf plants started coming up and then i add other seeds in there so i get my diversity i mean just the woody brows the forbs and then this added stuff increased the activity in my bedding area by three times. Um, so I was doing the huts and then I went this other method. But yes, the military crest is right when your flattest part comes out and then drops fast. And, and so you might have another bench right below that that is good, might be 10, 15 yards down the hill. But typically what I see is that top one is the dominant situation if they have you know, plenty of spots to lay down there. Now you get a storm like we did, you guys did a couple weeks ago and you go out there and those limbs are laying all over the place. It limits, they're not going to pick those up and move them, so it limits the areas. And we want a whole bachelor group in there, right? We want six, eight bucks hanging together. And so we need a lot of flat spots. Each buck's going to want... Uh, three areas he wants to get up walk around lay down that doesn't mean that Edwin's won't use that so I like to have a cluster of about a dozen beds is what I like in about a 10 to 15 yard area and we had that in every situation on both those ridges points that we done um, so yeah. I know again I'm adding to what you what you asked about, but that military crest is critical because I go along there and I locate those, and then I paint my my walls a cover if I have, especially if I have somebody working with me, uh, to where I can stand back at a distance with these bigger trees and knock those down and not cover up that mill because it's a whole lot of work of cutting all that stuff out of that spot that they naturally want to lay in. And I didn't used to pay any attention to that military crest much. I was just trying to put beds in cover out there. Well, it works, but not near as well as giving them exactly what they want, right? You can't be wrong. It's, right. it's copying what they want. <laughs> and, and I think that's valuable. That's something you told me on this trip, too. You said, you know, here's a bed right here. Look at where it's at. Look at why it's here. Look at the fact that it's on a hill or a military crest. And... I'm not going to try and reinvent the wheel and make new beds and move these deer here. No, I'm going to manipulate the habitat to this existing deer bed, keep them here, but make it so much better for them. Yes. And that makes so much sense. And you can hunt closer to it because they feel more secure, right? You can get right... If I can get 75 yards away from where they're bedded, my success rate just skyrocketed, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's their bed. If they hear anything, they're going to hold tight as long as they can. They don't want to run. That's the last thing a deer wants to do is take off running through the woods, right? And so you give them a place to hide, and, and we got a lot of places to hide in there. 
And that's the reason yeah. I stack those walls of cover. And and you mentioned Jeff, Jeff Sturges earlier, and, and he's one of the first guys that talked about stacking cover, depth of cover. And that's what we were getting there because you get the first outside wall cover. They go behind that and not feel safe. Then you got another wall cover they can get behind with huts around it and everything, and in and out to where it's not dead ends. I mean, that's the safest place. When all the neighbors come walking into the woods, those deer are going there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I have the flattest property in the neighborhood. There is still the highest ground on my flattest property. Is that where I should be keying in on? 100% and what it's usually going to be is at the bottom of a big tree. And so what, that last point we were on, those big, big beech trees right next to them because of how the root system is, you're going to have six to eight inches higher for sure around the base of them so the very i went to nebraska i was along the nibrera river i had to lay down the ground to look through the timber <laughs> oh, wow. and see what was higher and it was at the base of the beach or the cottonwood trees and so all the cottonwood trees had beds around them and that was a, again a foot higher than everything else same thing in a swamp it might be a foot two foot higher right but again, then a guy come and say, oh, they're not on the highest spot. Yeah, they're on the bench that's 15 yards down the bank from the highest spot. But they're still associated with the highest spot. Um, I don't know. You taught us ways to make high ground in our swamps, in our low ground, you know, to go out there and make pockets of cover with mulch. Um, put down a material to get it up out of the water. And put I've mulch seen pallets throw mesh over top of it just put debris on top of that to get them up out of that moisture um, for sure anything that's dry and they got cover around it depend on your deer numbers right um, you get high deer numbers they're going to bed anywhere they yeah. got cover you know yeah. you can yeah. get them Which to bed in between areas. 30 and 40 i think right in this area deer per square mile 30 to 40 yeah Maybe even higher. I, I'd this say is old map and it says... Where I was at today, looking at the native vegetation, when I see wild gooseberry eight down, and I see black haw eight down, and there's nothing else in the timber, we've seen a, a little bit of oak sedge, and it was eight on pretty hard, uh, but there was nothing else there. Higher? I, I'm saying it's 60 to 70 oh, wow. in that area. Wow. Because I, in, on my properties, I got 30 per yeah. square mile. Yeah. Well, on 134 acres, you know how many that's supposed to be if it's 30 per square mm -hmm. mile? I mean, it's not many. I mean, what, it eight? Well, mm -hmm. I got I got 20, and I'm in an area where they're, you know, and so this that. Is like 2009. Yeah, they, <laughs> that's when they wanted to kill all the does <laughs> off. Yeah, it's from the Michigan yeah. Sportsman Forum. I found it. Yeah. Well, you know, but anyways, it's high. When when yeah. you throw the cover in, they pile in, right? That's what happens. And so you start collecting, and and you change, you know, those numbers quick, you're, especially you're with the it, right? well, we we pull in the year old buck immediately because here real quick. His mom's running him off, right? And every doe he runs into, because she's wanting her area for fawning, she runs him off. He's never ran with the bucks. We collect him in an area like that because there's plenty of places to eat because we got all this fresh woody browse and there's plenty of places to hide and stay sure. away from those does, sure. right? And so that, yeah, we, we'll change the numbers quick, but yeah, I think that you got 60 to yeah. 70 uh, per square mile over there for sure. And we are surrounded by hunting pressure. Like, 
you know, we're surrounded by Amish farms and we have some people around us that are hunting the lines. So our objective on this farm is let's keep these deer central. Let's keep them in the core of the property. Let's give them everything they need to spend those daylight hours. And and I'll go back to Tony the Pratt on that one. Like spend those daylight hours on my property, right? I don't care where you go after dark, but give them everything you need in the core of your property. Hunt the outside edges, the fringes, and you're going to have a successful property. So that's, that's kind of the mindset we've taken into setting up this property too. And when you're back to kind of, kind of the bedding conversation there, I saw a couple spots where you cleared the ground out a little bit um, for the deer. Do you always do that? So I used to. Are you to, making an example? Or um, like, what are you? So back in the day when I would make the huts, I'd go in with a shovel and I'd place a log at the back on the upside, uphill side of the bed, and I'd take a shovel and make a flat spot, and it works. The first year I'd get 30 to 40% of those. I'm not taking into account terrain features back then right i was making bedding huts so i would make a nice flat spot with the shovel beautiful all this now what i do is i pick the natural spots by eye and then when i go out there i don't want limbs or rocks in those spots but i don't take a shovel out there anymore gotcha now if we're three years in and the deer keep flocking in and our deer numbers are going up and we want to house more deer then i'm going to go in there and i'm going to dress it up again right with and hinge cut all the sprouts and and make more flat beds with a shovel on those terrain features that i know where there's not a flat spot now but on that military crest and i will put more deer in there then but it's i we have for sure more beds than what we have deer that are going to use it now with these natural spots that I allowed open. So I don't want to spend the time working uh, in a 10-hour day to do that now because sure. I don't feel like it's necessary at this point. But at some time, if we keep increasing numbers and we have the property for you know, a while, yes, that's the next step. That's the next phase in this. And so habitat is phases, it's different phases. I mean, you get into a big timber, that's one phase to get the sun in there. Then you're gonna have to have a bunch of one inch, inch and a half sprouts that you're gonna have to manipulate or coppice, cut them off a ground level to where you can get the sun back to the ground in three to four years. You get about a three to four year perfect scenario and then it starts going downhill and you need to reset if you want to keep that bedding area that's prime, your property's either getting better or it's getting worse. It's one or the other, right? And so I'm staying on the getting better until I have the perfect pole timber for myself, for timber growth, and then I'm gonna grab another property and sell that one. Right? That's that's my plan. But everybody's got a different plan, right? And that's the key to this too. On and Ben and I was talking about this. You have to do exactly what that client wants, right? My, my goals aren't exactly what all the clients' goals are. I'm not going to push my goals, and I used to try to do that, and I still see a lot of habitat guys doing that, right? And it's not the right way to do it. <laughs> no, it's not. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, Jim taught me one of the several things he taught me today, but uh, making a, a deer bed and laying a log down, I kind of put the log further back in the cover, a little bit behind the big tree that, that was there, 
And Jim said, no, you know, I found in, in my years of doing this that bringing that log up kind of even with the, with the big stump there, the deer likes to look out around that stump, not be blocked in by it. Um, I thought that was some really, really important information that's different. It's like a cave. Yeah. Is when you put that back, that side cover way back in and you have it blocked on both ends, it's like that deer is laying back in a cave and can't see well enough. I'll see those work 10% of the time. That deer is really stressed if it's staying back there that tight. It, it's scared. They want to be out there to where they can see around and it needs to be straight in line with its in and out and on the same terrain feature in and out. And so if I'm going to build a bed, I want to build that deer to walk straight into it, lay straight down, get up and go straight out. And those work twice to three times better than putting it back. And all my help starts with cover beside it and then they get better at cutting and they make more cover beside it and the next thing you know they got a canopy over top of it and they got that bed way back there in the cave gotcha. and, and it's just a natural process that all the guys go through right that i've seen and so yes that that's important very important thing thank you for teaching me that yeah and thanks for illustrating yeah. that both of you you know I, I can see that now like yeah it was it was great and that's a big thing too working a working beside somebody is to humble yourself enough to listen. Yep. You know, open your ears up and listen. Yep. There's a lot to be learned. Now, switching gears a little bit here. Actually, I have one more question on, on cutting. All the cutting I saw today, 1,200 to 1,400 logs. What happens when it's time to harvest? Well, so when you cut like this, for sure, the intention is to wait at least 10 years before a harvest, right? Got it. Because those trees in there, the best, the best timber companies now know that when it's cut for eight to 10 years, those trees will grow faster than they will any other time of their life. And then they start slowing down. So like pike lumber, they want to cut every eight to 10 years and they'll just take the perfect trees. Well, what we've done in there the, tree, the big trees in there that are future timber value, they were the dominant trees. We took out subordinate trees for the most part. So those big trees, they're not going to do that epicormic sprout that most of them would that are subordinate stress tree. So what these are going to do is going to grow perfect for the next 10 years. And if we just want to keep manipulating the cover for deer habitat, They'll just keep growing perfect because now they're the sole big tree growing. They're getting sure. all the sun, right? We, we've left walnuts, white oak. Those walnuts now are going to be the happiest walnuts in the state of Michigan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're going to they're be, in, in 20 years, they would be worth more than the rest of all the trees combined, yeah. right? Just by the added growth of them. So for sure in 10 years, he'll get his money back on added timber value just in the walnuts that would pay my my price sure. on what I've done, sure. right? Because he's got some slammers in there already. And it, I mean, they're, right. So, yes, um, it can be a problem depending on who you're dealing with as far as a logger. I've done the same type of cut in Missouri. They waited four or five years. 
The landowner called me up and says, hey, can we take those walnut out? I said, go right down the corridors and do it. Okay, well, that's how you would do it. Okay. So I got there. They didn't go down the corridors. They just blew right through my hinge cuts, right? Mm. Because my hinge cuts are four or five inch, six inch trees. Those skitters put that blade up just a little bit. They just lay them over and run right over top of them, right? And then drag the logs through and just bust them all up. So they can do it. A lot of times they want to use an excuse to give you less money for, for your timber. Anything that somebody can say sometimes is that way. Um, when they drop a big old uh, walnut that's worth $2,500, they're going to get a cable to it and pull it wherever they want to pull it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. They, they can yeah. say whatever they want to say, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it's not as bad as a real viney timber that's going to be dangerous for them or something, you know. Yeah. Maybe they cut off a few hinge cut trees and blow through them with the skitter. I haven't seen any issue. I've heard a lot of talk, but I haven't seen any issue in it. No, so. that answers my question, really. And then if you want to, if you go hinge over some more trees to fix what they damage, I mean, you want. I mean, you're going to be, the trees are going to be harvested, so you're going to already have the influx of sunlight you're looking for. Exactly. Even if and, you screw it up, so we got a sixty percent. No canopy removal this time yep in 10 15 years 20 years they decide to harvest that's going to take out the other because that's the big trees that's left that's going to take out the other 40 percent that's all i need is 40 percent removal to be right back awesome. right awesome. and so yeah i mean that's the goal for most people that's how you get the sun back to the ground and grow timber and that's the reason i think that this here works better than a lot of the methods that people are using but that's just my opinion. This is it. this is one of the spots where you adapt to your client, though, because you came in and you asked us. You said, you know, are you after deer yeah. or are you after profit from timber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the two don't always go hand no, in hand. No. You know, are, are yeah, you trying to grow timber or are you trying to grow deer? Right. Right. So now you can come in though and kind of hybridize that model Slightly, and say, sometimes. okay, there's good walnuts over there. So I'm going to set up my plan with the with the plan of ten years down the road they might harvest those walnuts. And you've worked with us quite a bit in that and said, okay, this is marketable timber, so I'm gonna set this up so you guys could take it off at some point, as opposed to a guy that's come in and just take everything out and, and, and lock it in. So I, I appreciate the way you've worked with us in that too. And kept that Another thing to add to this is, usually on the high ground where I wanna cut the hardest for the bedding, that's your least valuable trees because they're the shortest tree the, the trees that are the longest log, that give you the longest log, they're in the low ground because they're going for the sun. Mm -hmm. And they got more moisture and better soil. And so they're going to be your more valuable tree. And so what I typically do is take my high ground stuff, dump it into the low ground, then I just leave those big straight ones that are nice and straight in the low ground to make my longest logs. But then our walnuts, our most valuable tree period, is almost always in the wet areas like it was this time, mm -hmm. right along the swamp edge. And so I just worked around them. And, and so, yeah, it wasn't a big, it didn't hurt us at all to leave those on this job. Um, so, yes, I normally, again, want to cut that high ground. And a lot of times you'll have oaks in there, but I could, I'm only wanting 40% gone, so I can a lot of times leave those also. 
you know, to get our acorns and have timber value. But again, every property is a little different, yeah. but most properties don't have good timber value anymore anyways, because right. when they bought it, the previous landowner took that with him right. a lot of times, you know. So a lot of us don't even need to think about <laughs> is that too it's much? super intriguing, and I think you hit the nail on the head with, with all that. I learned a ton right there. Um, Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, You know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Vitalize Seed Company at vitalizeseed.com. Packer Max Cultipackers. Exodus Trail Cameras. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Endless Horizons Archery. Morse Nursery. Afflictor Broadheads. First Light. Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. Legendary Forest Products. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.